Pizza is like the great motivator, isn't it? Like who isn't in the, I could have pizza right now. <clears throat> Maybe you want to make a note of that, someone on staff. Angelo's right up the road, pizza gourmet. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. This is going to be the, uh, the finale of, of this series. I was going to call it the grand finale, but I'll let you make that decision in about 30 minutes, uh, whether or not this is grand. Every time I say that, Siri comes up on my iPad. That's interesting. Um, I really wanted to start off by telling you a quick story. I wasn't here last week when uh, Brian, he uh, completed part two of this series. He's in the back somewhere hiding. But did you guys enjoy Brian's message last week? Yeah. You can say no, he's not here. <laughs> Just got to make sure he did a good job. Uh, I'm teasing. Last week, <laughs> he is here. Uh, <clears throat> last week, Brian uh, spoke for me, and he did a great job on part two of this, this series where we're, all, we're kind of talking all about our emotions. And I, I don't know about you, but, but for a guy especially, I feel like it's really hard to spend so much time talking about your emotions. I'm not going to lie. I'm really excited that after today we get to jump into something new. But I, I don't want to rush that. Um, as much as I am excited to be off emotions, I feel like today's message is, is a great kind of capstone to what we've been dealing with and talking through, and really, how do we uh, become emotionally healthy people? Uh, last week, uh, the reason I didn't preach is I was away during that week uh, down to Atlanta. We're uh, in a, a network of churches. We don't have, we're not a part of a denomination, but we are a part of a network of churches called the North Point Partner Network. There's about 100 churches uh, that make up that network, and once a year they gather all the lead pastors and all the executive pastors in Atlanta, and we spend a time getting to learn from each other, grow, connect, share ideas, ha- have some uh, really cool experiences. I had a blast when I was down there. It was amazing to board the plane at like 45, 49 degrees in a sweatsuit and get off the plane in 84-degree weather and feel completely overdressed. Um, it was great. I had a great time in Atlanta. And while we were there, um, we connect in these small groups once a month. So every session we're together, we kind of sit with the same group of guys that we've done life with for, for the last few years. Uh, guys from Canada, there's guys from uh, all over the world, really. There's UK, South America, South Africa, Mexico, uh, all throughout the US. And we just kind of talk about what God's doing in our churches as we continue to try to reach people that are far from God. Uh, the first session was one of the best sessions we heard. And it was by an author named Tim Elmore. Tim uh, writes and does research on next generation, and in particular, this talk was on Generation Z, the latest generation, and the generational influences and generational difficulties. And he gets done with this session, and they said, we have some questions for you, so you're going to turn around and you're, you know, with the table you're at, and, and you get to ask some questions. And before they put any question on screen, I kind of turned around to my table, and I said, guys, i got to be honest. I don't know about you, but I feel like a failure. Like, I, I, this, was, this was supposed to be encouraging for pastors to do ministry, but as a, as a father, I feel like I, I've completely failed my kids in setting them up for success for the future. And, and immediately, just like it did here, the table gets quiet. And then another pastor speaks up and he says, yeah, I, I got to be honest, I've been to a lot of conferences and this is the first time that there was a session that I felt like talked to me as a man instead of talking to me as a professional. Everybody at the table started to reiterate the same idea, and we all started talking and talking because we're all, we realized we're all dads of some Gen Z kids, and a lot of us had, had girls that were Gen Z, which, you know, if you're a dad over girls, that makes you even more scared, and <clears throat> we started talking through some of the challenges. My wife and I, we have three. We have, a, a, we have eight, we have six, and we have three. Those are their ages, not their names, because that would be really <laughs> weird. Um, we have three girls, and, and <clears throat> to be honest, after, like, during this talk and while it's happening, I'm kind of imagining my kids in, in what was, to me at this point, the, the best age that I've had them. You know, my eight-year-old, when she was like four, we had so much fun, and she was playing football, and I remember that time of her life. And my six-year-old, when she was two, she was just sweet and cuddly. And, and, and my, my three-year-old, well, I remember her as an infant, and she's our last. She is going to be our last. 
And the idea that that's the last time I'm holding an, an infant that's my own, it's like, you know, emotions start welling up. And, and at the, like sitting around this table with a bunch of, of guys, and we're all kind of getting emotional. And I don't know if it's appropriate to like excuse yourself to get a box of tissues, but that's what I felt like I had to do. Like, what's happening here? And we're all kind of getting emotional about this talk. <clears throat> and then we ask one of the guys who's at the table, he's the, one of the newest guys to our small group. Um, he's an older guy. His kids are now in college. And we say, hey, Andy, would you just tell us, like, what, what can we learn? Like, what, what are we missing? You know, we're at this stage where maybe we can still fix some things and we can still have some time ahead of us. How can we be better at this? And he said, he said you know, it, it, it's like a, the old cliche, like, like time flies. You don't appreciate it till it's gone. He said, he said that, that's hard. And, and I think at this stage, you're all kind of realizing that. And, and that's a challenge. And, you know, that's not something you want to say to a group of dads who are already emotional. You say that, and, and now, you know, guys are getting teary-eyed and... and well, how do, what do we do? What can we learn from you? He said, here, here would be my best piece of advice. He said, and this is, this is interesting. It's really quiet and everyone's waiting on this. This almost has nothing to do with the message, but this advice was perfect, especially if you're a parent. He said, you, you know, as a pastor, he said, there's, there's all this pressure on you through the week, and especially around the weekend. He said, and I, I added all that pressure on myself, and, and I felt like that took me out of the moment. He said, Saturdays are incredibly busy. There's always sports. There's always a game. There's always recitals. There's always parties. He said, here would be my advice. Make the most of every Saturday. Make the most of every game. Make the most of every dance recital. Make the most of every trip. Like, make the most of it because there's going to come a Friday night where you're going to have nothing to do on Saturday and you would give anything to get it back. He said that to a group of guys, and as you can imagine, what started as this kind of emotional silence broke out into a bunch of dads weeping and crying. And, you know, I looked around, I'm like, guys, suck it up. Be a man. Totally kidding. I was one of them, right? Like, tell me more. <clears throat> but uh, really, what, what I found interesting is we kind of rolled through this, and <clears throat> this happened w without, you know, we're not even basing the message on this. It's just, it's amazing how God kind of lined this up. What we were all kind of experiencing, all the dads sitting around the table, uh, the, the, the guy, the older gentleman, the older pastor who was kind of pouring into these young pastors, we were all kind of experiencing the same thing at different stages. The, the Andy was experiencing something that had already happened, and we were experiencing something in, in the midst of it happening, and, and that's this. It's really what we're going to talk about this morning. It's loss. It, it, it's the loss of a childhood that you're never going to get back. It's the loss of spending time, at least in Andy's mind, with his kids that he'll never get back because they're in college and they're professionals. And really what I find incredibly interesting is, is when it comes to this idea of loss, as, maybe as an emotion, is we don't like to deal with it. We, we, we don't like to deal with loss, but I think to be emotionally healthy people, we've got to lean into it instead of leaning away from it. We have to learn to deal with our loss and what loss brings about. See, we don't like the idea of loss because loss carries something with it. And this is what we've kind of talked about through this whole series, is that loss brings some change, right? Change always includes loss. It always does. And we don't like it. We don't like when things change, but we also don't like things to stay the same. But it's always going to happen. Things are always going to change. And the truth is we're all going to, if we haven't already experienced some kind of loss in our lives. And as difficult and as painful as, as it may be, we need to deal with it. We need to wrap our minds around it. We need to wrap our hearts around it. As much as change always brings loss, loss, when it happens, loss always needs to be grieved. And there's that word grief. We don't like to think about grief, but, but really we, we, it, it always brings something that needs to be grieved. 
It, it, it brings something along that, that, that for some of us, we, 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 we kind of struggle through and we hope we don't have to deal with. And when we think of grief, more, more often than not, it, it happens to, around the idea that we've lost somebody or somebody has died, maybe from a sickness or age, but, but they're no longer with us. But grief is so much more than that, isn't it? It's really, it could be the loss of a dream. It could be the loss of a relationship. It could be the loss of something like, like childhood, like your kids are no longer there and you'll never get that back. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of, of, of a career path that you thought you were on and you realize you're not. It could be the loss of a dream, like, you know, the Pats trying to win the Super Bowl two years ago. Some of you guys still need to grieve that. It was a devastating loss. Not for me. I'm an Eagles fan. It was great. But last year, I mean, the whole year was like a moment for me to grieve. But, but really, this is what happens, is we end up trying to, to avoid the grief, don't we? We don't, we don't want to deal with the grief. We don't want to think about the loss. Let's, let's move on as quickly as we can. And here's what people tend to do when, when grief kind of rears its ugly, nasty head in our life. This is how we tend to deal with it. We tend to bury the feelings. Push it down. I'm a man. I don't want to feel it. We've got to push the feelings down. Replace the loss. Well, I, I realize you, you lost that job. You can get another one. I realize you lost that dream. Just go get another one. I realize you lost your spouse. Just go find another one. Time. We all heard this, haven't we? Just give it some time. Time heals everything. And, and let me ask you this. If this, is, if this is how we're dealing with our grief and our loss, let me ask this of, of all of you. How's it going? You over it? Or, or, or like me, do we tend to just push it down every time it pops up? And, and do we tend to think, you know, I just got to find something to, to, to take my attention off of it. I've got to replace it. And, and worst case, when it gets me at night and I'm not feeling, well, just give it some time. But really, time doesn't heal the wound. Time just gives us time to move past it without ever dealing with it. And now we have a bunch of people walking around with, with this emotional baggage, this grief and this loss that we've never dealt with. And the, the painful thing about loss is, is that the, the, we keep pushing it down, but all we've done is kind of create this crater in our life. And, and if it's not dealt with there, it will come back again. This is how we, we, we teach people to deal with things, at least... This is how I think most parents teach their children to deal with the loss of their first pet. This is what I did when I killed my daughter's fish. The fish was aptly named Captain America. My oldest daughter's a sports, uh, you know, Marvel fan. And I was changing the water, and it jumped right out of the water cup, right down the drain. <clears throat> you know what my response was to my daughter? It's okay, it's okay. We'll get another one. There's plenty of fish in the sea. We'll just replace the loss. It's okay. You bury the feelings. You don't have to feel it. I'll replace it for you. And I, I think this is just kind of how we deal with things, but inadvertently what we're teaching, teaching is, is this, hey, don't feel what you're feeling, don't, don't realize what you've lost, and try to overcome it, just bury the feelings. Just replace the loss and give it some time because it will heal everything. And then we, we've all know adults who've tried to deal with things that way. They've lost a dream, they've lost a job, they, they, they've lost a spouse or a child maybe. And then they, they, they fall into a world of addiction. They've been given over to drugs and alcoholism and workaholism. And they can't seem to break free because there's this crater in their life that's held them captive. And instead of dealing with it, they just divert their attention. And, and the interesting thing is when people kind of feel that way and react that way, is they're not the only ones who feel it, are they? You see, everyone around you will eventually feel the... the, the Failure that you failed to grieve. Feel the emotion that you failed to grieve. Feel the loss that you failed to grieve. Everyone around you begins to feel it. Everyone around you knows what it is you're going through. 
And the more we keep putting it off, the more we decide, you know, I'll just get over it. It'll just take some time. I'm working through it, but I'm really not working through it. The worse it gets. This is kind of the whole idea of, of the series, right? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But I never deal with it, and it's not fine. And this thing just gets worse. And every time it comes around that I don't deal with it, the damage that it can cause gets worse and gets worse. And the later we choose to deal with our emotions, the greater the consequences become. And, and we just, well, I just got to put it off. I don't want to feel it. I want to feel the loss. I don't want to feel the grief. I don't want, I don't want to cry. I, I'm not a crier. I, I, don't, I don't like that ickiness that it makes me feel that I, we're all feeling right now as we're kind of talking through this. But we all know this to be true. If you spend any time living through anything like this, is that the problems that we tend to avoid now that we push off to later, later problems become greater problems. And most assuredly, it will come back around again and again and again until we learn not to bury it and not to replace it and not to leave it to time, but to deal with whatever it is that we're feeling. There's this, uh, two places I usually go with, with this kind of feeling. When I, when I think about dealing with, with my feelings and how do I deal with them, the first is to the Psalms. I love the Psalms. King David wrote most of the Psalms. And to me, King David is just the, the, the most emotional, healthy man in the Bible aside from Jesus. When you read through the Psalms, and I try to read through them about once a year, you, you see this incredible honesty from David as he writes how he's feeling to God. And even sometimes there's just this, this brutal honesty. I, I, I would bet if you read some of the Psalms, you would think, I would never say that to God. How did lightning not strike? David just knew how to deal with his emotions. He knew the kind of man he was, and he didn't want to move on from what he was feeling. He wanted to feel it, he wanted to understand it, and he wanted to be healed from it so he could continue being a man after God's own heart. David writes this incredible psalm that we're going to look at in a moment, Psalm 23, and in this incredible psalm, he says this, this incredible nugget of wisdom that I think is just so, so appropriate for what we're dealing with. The other place I go is usually to the life of Jesus. Jesus is the representation of God on earth. I mean, if there's, if there's ever a place, ever an, an answer you want to know, how, did, how would God deal with this? Look at Jesus. His whole life is, is almost like he's saying, hey, you want to know how to deal with something? Look at me. Follow me. You want to know how to deal with your grief, how to deal with your loss, how to deal with your emotions, how to become emotionally healthy? Follow after me. I, I, this is how God would want you to deal with it. This is how you should or you could deal with it. Be a little bit more like me. And Jesus, throughout his life, throughout his entire ministry, there are times where he connects with his emotions and he teaches us how to connect with them. But I can't think of a more appropriate one than what we're going to talk about this morning. John chapter 11 is, is this incredible story. And it would take us forever to like walk through this, this whole story. But in John chapter 11, <clears throat> there's this incredible story of Jesus overcoming death for the first time. But that's at the end. To, to, to get there, there's this incredible journey. Jesus, at this point in his life, had many followers. <clears throat> some were men, some were women. Two of the women were named Mary and Martha. They were deeply close to Jesus, very close to him and his ministry and friends. They had a family member named Lazarus who was also a great friend of Jesus. Lazarus becomes sick, very sick. So sick that they're worried he's not going to survive. And they send word to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we've seen you. We, we know you're the miracle working God. You, you've done things like this before. Would you come back and help get my brother well? Jesus, on his journey home, where we kind of pick up with the story, he sees Mary and Martha and, and, and their emotion. And he connects to their emotion in such an amazing way. John tells us this. When Jesus saw hers, when he, Jesus saw Mary and Martha weeping at the potential loss of their, their, their family member, their brother Lazarus, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit 
and he was troubled. Jesus looked at Mary and Martha, and, and, and at this point, what Jesus knew was Lazarus was sick and Lazarus might die. There is this deep emotion that they're feeling at the potential loss of Lazarus, but, but there was more to the story. When they sent word to Jesus to come back to, to heal their brother, to take care of Lazarus, Jesus delayed. He was doing something. He said, no, no, I, I've got to do this. I've got to finish this. I've got to finish. And in his delay, something worse happened to Lazarus. Anyone know what it is? He died. So they weren't just mourning the potential loss, the, 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 the horrible sickness that had ravaged this, this brother's body. They were mourning the actual loss of their friend. And Jesus, I, I find this so amazing, being all God, being the, 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 the impression of God on earth, connects to human pain and human suffering in a way that, that most of us, I think, would never think God could. He saw their emotion. He saw their pain. He saw their grief. And it troubled him. And then he asked them this. He says, well, where, where have you laid him? And they responded, come and see, Lord. There's another translation that I absolutely love. It's the King James Version of this. In the King James Version, they actually replied to him, the Lord, he stinketh. Which is just a really odd, like old English way of translating this verse. It's their way of saying, Jesus, he's, like, he's not like, like almost dead. He's like dead, dead. For all of you Princess Bride fans, he's like all dead, right? Like, no, no, he, he's beyond. <clears throat> like, he's gone. The disease has ravaged his body. He's dead, and now his body is decomposing, and it smells. Jesus feels the pain, and he feels the suffering, and he feels the loss. And anytime any preacher gets to this point in the story, they always have to say, but now the shortest verse in the Bible... Not that that ever matters. But what I find amazing is that the shortest verse in the Bible could be one of the most powerful for you. Two words. Two words that show us something of Jesus that we would never see unless John decided to include it. Jesus, his, he stinks, he's dead. And Jesus' response, he wept. God on earth so overcome with emotion and loss and grief, wept. See, what's amazing about this story is that Jesus knows what's coming. He then commands the tomb to be opened, and he speaks to Lazarus, and Lazarus is resurrected. First time he ever overcame death in his ministry. Like, amazing! He knows what's coming. And instead of kind of laughing it off, like, no, he's not dead. Give me a chance. He takes a moment to weep and to cry. Why? Why would John include this? I mean, this isn't even the headline of the story, right? It's like, friend gets sick, friend dies, Jesus shows up late, Jesus resurrects him. Like, like, that's the headline. Why are we including this, John? Because I think John wanted all of us to know that even though Jesus was all God and was the impression of God on earth and was incredibly powerful, and, 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 and I mean, we know Jesus is like the miracle-working God, right? He could walk on water and feed the 5,000, and you might know the, the rest of the story about the cross and the resurrection, John, I think one of us all know, don't miss this. Not only was he God, but he was so human that he could feel what you're feeling. So much so that he would feel it himself. We call this empathy. That we serve a God that just doesn't sympathize with what you're feeling, but he empathizes with what you're feeling so much so that he feels it too. The other place I wanted to look, I told you about the psalm. This is one of the most famous psalms ever written. King David wrote this psalm, and this psalm is, is 
recited in funerals and it's recited in weddings because it offers so much hope and it's beautiful. I want to skip to just one verse I want to pull out, but, but leading up to this, David, he's kind of writing this prayer to God and he's talking about God as, as a shepherd. Lord, you're my shepherd and you lead me to these green pastures that, that, that offer so much and you bring me to the water that quenches my thirst and you restore and you strengthen my soul. Man, that's so beautiful, David. And then he says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I, I read that and that reminds me of a kid's story I heard once about <clears throat> uh, going on a hunt for a bear and you're, they're trying to track the bear and there's this pathway before me and the pathway's hard. and you know Maybe I can go around, maybe I can go over, maybe I can go under. But the only way to get to the bear is to go through the path. You see, what's amazing to me is, isn't the darkest valley. is that David says... I've got to walk through it. And we don't like to. No one wants to walk through the dark valleys. And what's, what's unique about this is that <clears throat> this is for everyone. This isn't like reserved for Christians who follow Jesus or those who are outside the church. Life is full of dark valleys. And we can try to escape it. We can try to avoid it. We can try to walk around. We can, you can try to go, but you can't go over a valley. You can't go under a valley. You're not going to walk around. Sometimes you've got to walk through. And it's painful. And it's dark. And it's scary. And some of you may be going through a dark valley right now. Some of you may be coming out of the dark valley, dark valley right now. And you remember the, the, the fear that was gripped by it at the loss of, of the person you cared about the most or the relationship that fell apart or, or the career that you thought you were going to have and you don't have. And David said, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that fear, he says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. That fear that's before you, the fear that, that you see as you're approaching that dark time, that dark valley in your life, he says, you don't have to fear it anymore. It doesn't have to control you. It doesn't have to grip you. You don't have to face that fear alone. And why? He says this, even though I walk there, I will fear no evil because you are with me. God has never left you. He's never forsaken you. You're not going through this alone. At your darkest moment in the darkest hour of your life where you feel completely isolated like no one's around and no one understands. And how could they understand? They didn't love them the way I did. How could they understand? They didn't invest so much into this career and so much into this life as, as I did. How could they understand? It was my child and the child's gone. God said, no, I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I am right there with you. And even more than that, I know the loss you feel, and I feel it too. You don't have to be afraid. You're not alone. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then he says this line, and this is so confusing to me. He says, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I'm, I'm no shepherd. I'm no expert. I, I, don't, I don't raise sheep. I don't know if any of you here raise sheep. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I know people are raising goats and chickens and some people are raising turkeys, <clears throat> but no one here is a, an expert with sheep. No one's here a, a sheep spurt, if you will. No one? We're just going to have to go with, with what I'm feeling then. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I think to myself, well, the rod doesn't sound comforting, right? That sounds like a tool for correction. <clears throat> it sounds like something that's poked and prodded, like, no, move on. There's danger that way. No, keep going or you're not going to have anything to eat. It doesn't sound very, very comforting to me. And then the staff with the hook, it's like, what's that hook for? It's, it's like to yank me back on the path. 
I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound comfortable, does it? It's not like David said, hey, as you're going through the darkest valley, it's going to be so lovely. There's going to be roses and it's going to be rain. Like, no, it's a dark valley. It's not meant to be comfortable. But the rod and staff are there so that you can find comfort and you can find safety and you can find protection in your shepherd who's going to keep you on the path to get you ultimately to where you want to go. And that is to feel what you felt and to move past it and be healthy. That is to feel the loss and understand the grief and at the end of it, be the emotionally healthy person that you want. He said, no matter what you're going through, no matter your darkest valley, I'm with you and I'll keep you on the path. I'll push the danger away so that you can get through the dark valley and on the other side, have and be all that you wanted to be. See, we don't like that. That's not what we want. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jim, I didn't come here to be depressed. <laughs> you said you wanted this to be a place I'm coming back. I'm not coming back. This is boring. The truth is we all feel this way at some point. We all feel grief. We all feel loss. But we're so quick to push it down. We're so quick to bury. We're so quick to move on. And David's saying, no, 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 no. Go through it and get to the other side because you'll be better in the end. You see, when we don't deal with our emotions, what tends to happen? We bury and we bury and we bury and we bury until it kind of overflows and pours out. And we ignore and we replace and we replace and we replace. And if you're type A like me, you just keep replacing. You just, you just keep moving. You just keep finding something to divert your attention, to keep you busy so you don't have to deal with whatever it is you felt. But it's not healed. It's not gone. It's there. And it'll come back again. And it'll come back again. Unless we learn to deal with whatever it is we're feeling. One of the pastors at the, the partner church, he had interviewed um, one of their care pastors. He, she's a psychologist. She's over all of their care initiatives. And he was kind of asking her questions about this. He said, how do we know when, when, when somebody hasn't, hasn't moved on, when someone ha hasn't kind of handled this grief, when somebody has, has buried or, or replaced or, or just left it to time but hasn't really dealt with their emotions? Psychologist said this. She said, a sign that an emotion is buried. And I love what she says next. I think there, there's so much wisdom in it. I've been thinking about this for weeks since I've heard it. <clears throat> a sign that an emotion has been buried is when you give a dollar response to a 50-cent incident. I love that line. And you might be thinking, well, what, what does that even mean? When your reaction to a minor situation is so elevated and out of proportion, you might need to take a step back and think, where's that coming from? When our reaction to things is so over the top, we start screaming at the kids because they didn't put their shoes in their closet. It's like, these two things aren't lining up. That might be a moment for us to take a step back and say, why am I feeling that way? You see, our emotions are messengers. They're there to tell us, to, to notify us of something that's going on. And when our emotions are that far out of whack, I think our emotions are trying to tell us something. The psychologist then went on to say, but you've got to be careful telling people this. He said, why? And he said, especially, especially for spouses. Because the best time to have this conversation isn't after you've witnessed one of these dollar reactions to a 50-cent incident. If you're a spouse, you know what I mean. The next time somebody yells, the best response is, well, it sounds like you have something buried in your life that we need to sit and talk about. 
It's not going to go well. You see, as people, we like to be self-identifiers. Right? I want to discover it about myself. I want to be the one to, no, to address and notify the, notice the problem. I want to be the one to discover it. So maybe, maybe the best response is simply a question. Wow, that, that seemed a little over the top. I feel like there might be something more there th- th- than what you're saying or what I know. Maybe the best response is simply to ask a question. Why? Why am I so agitated? Why am I so over the top at something so, so small? Maybe the best thing we need to do is to make some space for some good grief. You know what I'm talking about? Like the good kind of grief. The kind of grief that we need to sit down and think through and discover what is it that I've lost? What is it that's causing me to react this way? What is it that's causing me to take this out on the people I love the most, on the relationships that I value the most? Why do I keep coming back to this? Maybe we just need to make some space for some grief. Realize we've been dealing with it wrong. See, because our typical reaction is to bury the feelings. It's to replace the losses. And it's to simply say, time will heal all wounds. But what if there was a better way? What if I could show you a better way to deal with this? What if instead of burying the feelings, we felt our feelings? What if you felt your feelings and expressed them freely? This is, this is exactly why we do small groups the way we do small groups. So that you can work through and process what it is you're feeling and begin to share and talk about it with people that value you and care about you the most. <clears throat> you may not even have an answer. I don't know why I'm so angry. I'm just angry. And I keep coming back to this, this thing that happened, this loss, <clears throat> this grief that I can't move past. And the group's there to share and say, I understand. Now let us help you. Let us work through this together. Let us, let us find an answer together. Maybe instead of just burying your emotions, the greatest thing you can do is feel your emotions and learn to express them feeling freely. Maybe instead of just kind of pushing them down, we took a moment to slow down and to review the loss. That's not what we like to do, is it? At least that's not what I like to do. When there's loss, I just want to find the next thing. Just keep my mind off it. I got to keep going. There's something else around the corner. There's something else around the corner. I didn't share this in the first service, but during worship, this story came back to me with the loss of my grandmother. I, I lived with my grandmother for years. She was one of the closest relatives I ever had. And at her funeral, I remember sitting around the graveside with all of my brothers and my cousins, and everybody is crying. Everybody is crying but me. My dad, my mom, my friends. And I, I remember thinking, why am I not crying? Because I just kept finding something else to do. I just kept thinking, well, I'll be strong for them. They can come and share with me. I, I, I'm not dealing with the emotion like they're dealing with it. Until about three days later, I'm about to leave Pennsylvania to come back home. And my cousin and I get into an argument that is, to this day, legendary in my family. I mean, screaming at the top of our lungs in the street until family had to come out and separate us. I'm not proud of it. But looking back now, it's because I never slowed down to think about what it is that I had lost. I just kept moving, and I just kept moving, and I just kept moving, and then it blew up in my face, and it was a disaster. Maybe the best thing you can do is just slow down. Review what it is you've lost. 
maybe instead of leaving it to time and saying, well, time we heal all wounds, maybe the greatest thing we can do is invite God into it. To heal the wounds that you have had. To heal the wounds of your loss. You see, this is, this is where so many people begin to miss it. It's like, no, that, that, that's weakness. That's failure. I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to admit to the grief. I don't want to think about the grief. I want to move past the grief. And I think maybe all that Jesus is telling us and John is telling us and David is telling us is, no, 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 feel it. Go through it because at the end you're going to be better. You know, as a, as, as a pastor in, in church ministry, I, I talk to a lot of people and I deal with a lot of people when they're going through hard times in their life. And I am by no means an expert at this, but, but here's what I've noticed. When people tend to deal with this the most, it's like their late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It's where they kind of take a moment to look back over their life and realize, this isn't the life I wanted. I'm not who I thought I would be. I didn't accomplish what I thought I would have accomplished. This isn't the marriage I thought I would have. This isn't the car I thought I would drive. And you know what they do? They go out and they buy a boat. I don't know. I'm I'm teasing. It's not always a boat. If you're in boat sales, I apologize. You don't need any more shade thrown on you. They lease a truck. They buy a car. They move into a bigger house. They quit their job and try to find a new one. They leave their wife and try to find a new one. Because there's something that keeps coming back in their life that they never have taken a moment to deal with. And because they haven't, they've become emotionally bankrupt people. And the people around them feel the damage. It may be the greatest thing we can do to value our relationships, to, be, to be have healthy relationships, is to become emotionally healthy people. But to do that, I think we all have to answer this question. What have you lost that you failed to grieve? We all have. Somewhere along the lines, we've all experienced loss. But have you really dealt with the grief? Have you taken a moment to process through Why? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Why does that loss hurt so much? Maybe, what is it exactly that I had lost? Maybe it wasn't a person. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was the death of a dream. Why? What have you lost that you failed to grieve? I'm going to ask Chris, I asked him to come and play a song as we close this morning. <clears throat> and I know whenever we do this, it's just kind of, you know, capstones the emotional moment and it's totally manip- manipulative and I get it, but I love it. <clears throat> the truth is, if you had Chris at your disposal, you'd use him for every business meeting you'd have to kind of <laughs> cap it off with this emotional thing to make sure you get the deal. <clears throat> I have Chris at my disposal, so we're using him. But really, I, I, I think to myself, what better way to kind of process what we're feeling than to take a moment and invite God in. But maybe if you're like me, you spend so much time running, just diverting your attention, just keeping your focus on anything else but the thing that you don't want to deal with the most. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe your reaction is just to bury it and bury it and bury it and find something else to cover it with. And there's nothing else. And it keeps coming back and it's coming back more often and it's hurting more. Or maybe you're the type of person who just says, no, we'll just leave it to time. And time never helped. Time never healed the wound. 
This morning, what, I, what I'm going to ask you to do is just take a moment and say, God, would you come in? Would you uncover the thing that I've kept covered for years? Would you help me to slow down and realize where the loss is and how to grieve in a healthy way? Would you help to restore my soul and to make me an emotionally healthy person so that I can care for and love the people around me the most? Maybe all you need to do is just to take a moment. So here's how I want to close. I just want to give you a moment as he sings, as he plays, however you want to respond. If you want to stand and worship, if you want to kneel, if you want to sit, maybe you want to come to the the altar, that's fine. But just to respond and say, God, would you come into my mess? Would you come into my heart? Would you expose the thing that I've kept covered, that loss that I've kept covered for years and help me to process the grief? Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, so much for an opportunity to work through this, God, and I know this is so challenging. It's God, it was challenging for me to even work through it and talk about it. But God, I I want what's on the other side of this so bad. I want to be healthy and I want to be whole. God, I don't want this thing to hold me back or to hold us back anymore. So I pray that you give us the courage to do this this morning, God, to invite you into our heart, to invite you into our emotions, to uncover the thing that we've kept hidden and covered for years. God, we may have even forgotten about it, but I pray that you would bring it back so we could work through it and be healthy. Give us the courage to do it and give us the wisdom, God, to know where to look. God, and I pray that as we do, you would do what only you could do, that you would bring the healing that only you can provide, that you would make us whole and that you would make us healthy. In Jesus' name I pray.